I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. As this is our first pod in 2021, I'd like to wish you a very happy new year. Although I don't think that we will forget 2020 for a long time, not least because we launched this podcast. I'm sure that you, like me, are looking forward to 2021 and the opportunities that it will bring. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Troy Enschel, the Director of Business Services and Transformation at the social housing organisation, Wandle. Thanks, Troy. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, great to, great to, uh, to have you on this episode. Looking back on your career, um, you can split your uh, experience into two elements. Um, that gained prior to joining the world of social housing yeah. and the, then the last 12 years within the sector. Uh, can you provide a brief sort of summary of your career to date and, and how you have transitioned into the world of change and, and transformation? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, I, um, from school, I joined uh, Prudential at the height of the kind of the exciting personal personal patient boom uh, in the in the kind of uh, late 80s and, and early 90s and kind of just went in doing general admin. Um, and I've been really lucky, actually, in my, in my career. Um, people have, have uh, given me such fantastic opportunities, um, as all great managers do, I suppose, as you, as you go through uh, as you go through your roles. And um, towards the end of my time at Prudential, I was uh, one of the only uh, kind of in-house people put on a project called Project Trinity, which is a major change program. So, you know, back in the back in the 80s, 90s, it was green screen kind of dumb monitors we were using. And uh, and so we kind of we were looking at that type of transformation. Uh, It was the first time we'd really seen the activity based kind of costing models come in certainly in the organization I was in I've been there for, for a while at that time so that was kind of my first insight into change into kind of understanding processes all those kind of things because you know when when you join organizations you're programmed aren't you you're trained in well this is how you process a pension application this is how you do this this is how you do that whereas this was actually looking at it from a different perspective of not get this done but actually what's the best way to get it done and of course at that time we really saw growth of contact centers yeah. and the, the concept of of that was all the time that, hold on you're at your desk processing and the phone goes so it interrupts you so you answer the phone put it back down got to find your place again and then prudential might like many many other organizations at that time so well hold on yeah we can be more effective if we remove the phone from that process and just you just straight process put you process 10 times as many and someone else will answer all the calls in a call center type environment so that was kind of uh, part of what project trinity was was looking at we also my my role there kind of extended then we were looking at um one of the first contact centers it was also dare i say it was a pension boom but also a time of uh, uh, mis-selling accusations yeah. and changes put in place around uh, kind of advisors at, at, at that time. So we also then set up the first contact centre or call centre as it would have been then because we weren't using the web yes. and other, other channels um, to to kind of help uh, salesmen sell pension applications in that situation. So proper rock and roll stuff really <laughs> in respect to that. So um, so yeah, that, that was the first change kind of understanding how you look at things in a different way, look at the impact of, of those changes and and we did some of that work. And then um, 
from there, I moved on to um, an outsourcing company called Computer Sciences Corporation. Yeah. Um, they're actually a big outsourcer in the US at the time running things like NASA and other kind of major systems outsourcing. Um, and there we were doing, uh, again, kind of uh, financial sector, uh, but but whole kind of setup of outsourcing, back office, front office, the whole, the whole works, kind of um, processing applications for investment products for, yeah. uh, you know, people like Commercial Union and other kind of financial people would be advertising in papers and, and, and things like that. So, again, that, that kind of gave me an insight into how to set things up from the start because it yeah. was greenfield kind of brand new you did everything from from scratch albeit there was a model to it really in in, in respect to that stuff. it's fascinating that isn't it I, I i've been involved in a number of new starts I've got involved in egg which credential, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, but as you say that that opportunity doesn't come around too often but when when it does yeah. it's really it's a fascinating opportunity to to get your teeth into yeah, absolutely. And Egg's an interesting case study, actually, I think, around kind of culture and, and change, because um, you'll, you'll probably um, tell me it's an old wives' tale now. But I heard a story about Egg when um, they went to recruit people, because they were up in Derby, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. That they didn't use the Prudential name because they didn't want to attract, you know, some you know the type of people that associate with Prudential. This was a fresh, modern business. No, and it's that cultural point, which is, runs at the heart of you know transformation and change that we're going to talk about but that was really interesting to me and opened my eyes to that kind of concept of yeah, you yeah. know what you know why wouldn't you use your brand because prudential brand strong it's been around you know um lots of employees in the uk and, and worldwide but that you know was that true no it was absolutely yeah yeah, yeah it was it, it was and uh, it was very much focused around recruiting uh, people with the right attitude yeah. and 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 the right um communication style um, and they didn't need to have financial services experience no. at all in fact in many cases we didn't want people with financial yeah. uh, customer, services customer service yeah because you can train that and you can yeah, and yeah. you can train all the all the other stuff but you you can't train that that empathy and that ability to listen <coughs> that ability to to connect with people yeah that's true so so yeah i mean i think that you know culture will probably run at the heart of some of the stuff we talk about today but but that was a really interesting kind of working prudential moving into outsourcing and i think that fundamental difference of transforming from a starting point of an established organization and then setting up something from scratch fundamentally different yeah. if you get the second one right you haven't got much transformation to do thereafter but of course organizations that have been in place a long time established culture and practices that you're trying to change obviously a much harder job really in respect to that yeah I, I, but i think interestingly enough even even after you've been involved in a new start and you've uh, set up the processes and you set up the systems and the and the people in the right way if, if that organization goes through a quite a rapid growth yes then you know the, the, there's a catch-up process to be done and, I, and i've been involved in a number where uh, one in particular um started uh, over a course of 10 years it grew from 70 million up to 1.2 billion revenues and there's probably five or six major transformations in that 10 years just because they had to catch up and they had to invest in new technology. They had to improve and, and adapt the processes. Yep. So it is that constant business improvement stuff, which which is a little bit like you're doing at the moment, isn't it, in terms of your role at the moment? Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely. And, of course, the other thing is that the private sector is so competitive. 
you have to move at that faster pace to to deliver some of that as you say the growth you can't just go well if we get it wrong we get it wrong we'll start again tomorrow because actually you've missed out on that business and i think that probably leads me quite nicely into um well at the end of computer science corporation actually i did some a uh, few assignments overseas kind of consultancy type assignments um which which were really interesting again opened my eyes to some of the different ways of of working kind of thing um and then i ended up moving into consultancy for a while um and uh, one of my first gigs was um was actually working for uh john lewis as a client on um what they had at the time was a bride's book service which is kind of a gift service and then i i, I kind of supported them in in kind of the analysis of uh, how to take that forward because uh, they kind of had one in each store uh, spread right. around the country yeah. and that kind of ended up moving to to what they now have or what they had uh, the gift list type service so uh, so again working in the different sectors you know retail financial services it was really opening my eyes to kind of some different practices different ways of working and yeah. the different cultures that kind of exist with, with, within that really um, and then um, I kind of um, uh, fell into housing, as a lot of people seem to seem to do. Um, I actually went to, to an organisation that uh, uh, was delivering services all over the country, housing services, but also ran an out-of-hours contact centre, so a bit like an outsourced kind of yeah. centre. And that's what attracted me to, to to that really, not the not not the kind of housing side specific, specifically. So um, so yeah, so we went in there um, to to ECHG, and I, I worked there for for a number of years. Um, and then towards the end of that, we um, we worked at the time one of the biggest mergers in the sector, ECHG uh, merged with with Riverside, and I, I kind of worked on on that side. And again, that was that was significant. You know, if we're talking about change, there we talked about uh, a national provider of housing spread over 180 local authorities. So you know, massively kind of thinly spread over all of those local authorities. Riverside, really strong kind of Midlands, Northwest kind of, um, yeah. and, and running to the Northeast kind of side. And the outcome of the merger was that ECHG would become a specialist in care and support, and the kind of general needs, more traditional housing would move in, in, into the Riverside stuff. Um, and, and we ended up going through that process. We had to put like a thousand people at risk to go through restructures and stuff like that, because yeah. um, care and support, as we know, is not a generally profitable business. Mm -hmm. um, and we and we had to kind of revise the whole business model for them, um, and and that was a real challenge. That was a real challenge on the hearts and minds stuff, on because everyone, every employee was impacted. You yeah. know, shortly before we, uh, you know, a couple of years before we did the merger, we'd relocated the head office from Hendon up to Leicester. Um, so we brought loads of new people in. We'd we'd built a new office there. You know, specifically we owned it. So lots of different kind of things to, to, to go through as, as part of that change. The contact center had always been in Leicester. So there was always a, a hub to kind of build around. But yeah, that, that was really interesting for me, that that kind of the coming together of cultures in, in yes. a merger kind of I was, situation. I was going to ask you about that. I think, like you say, the, although uh, both operated in, in housing, social care, mm. I, I, I've worked in, across a number of different social housing organizations over the last five or six years and uh, although they're all doing effectively the same role it is fascinating just to compare and contrast the cultures in each of the organizations i suppose we, you shouldn't be too surprised um but uh, I, I, I i know of a number that where they've uh, um, uh, gone into a merger that that has been the number one challenge yeah. Of, 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 of combining and, and merging those cultures and, and, and the differences that exist across the organisations. Yeah, and I, I think if you look across the sector, 
you've got some quite commercial entities yeah. working and a real focus on that. And, <laughs> and you've got others that, that are, are more customer centric and more customer focused. And of course, you know, the, the smaller, more specialist organizations. Yeah, and I remember this from, you know, uh, housing corporation type uh, audit commission type inspections many years ago where we go oh yeah we're unique we can't comply with this we're, we're, we're unique where actually it's that kind of 80 percent is probably not that unique but yeah. there probably is 20 percent depending on your history depending on where you come from what you do uh, as a specialist is is very unique and and it's that that kind of gets driven into people i think and and I think when we go then through change we have to understand some of those things and, uh, and particularly it we have to understand those things to, to understand how, how we kind of do that. So yeah, so we worked on that. Um, then I went back into consultancy for a while, a few IT projects, um, but still within the, um, the, the the housing sector. Um, and uh, and then one of those projects down at First Wessex turned into a role where um, there'd been a merger, much much similar to the, um, the ECHD Riverside, and they were still running uh, kind of separate streams. So three, two, three back office, kind of two, three finance systems, all of that stuff. And, and my, my role as corporate services director was really to, to bring those together. Also collapse the, the separate boards into, into a single board. So, so yeah, we, um, we, we did that. And again, um, the background of those organizations became interesting. There's three main uh, housing providers, two of which were stock transfers, one of which wasn't. Yeah. So of course there's a history connection to local authority that affects kind of how those things work. And, and promises that were made at the time of, of, of kind of those those stock transfers or, or the mergers, really. So I think yes. I went in about a year, eight months. significant time. differences on terms and conditions, I assume, as well, which would have been yeah. interesting to uh, to manage that change. Then. Yeah, from recollection, you know, I'm a bit old now, so my mind doesn't remember all yeah. of the things. But actually, that didn't feel like one, one of the, the, the trickiest things, really. But, but yeah, I mean, certainly, you're, you're, of course, right. There are real challenges. I mean, fortunately... They were all Hampshire based. So it wasn't like we were merging with London and other kind of situations. But the real thing that struck me, because I went in about a year, 18 months after the merger, was I was told by kind of senior managers at the time how um, kind of burnt out they were from change. Yeah. And actually, nothing had barely changed. What yeah. they were burnt out from was firefighting from the merger. Does that make sense? No, and, absolutely. And, yeah. and that, was a, that was a real thing for me. They felt like they'd been through change. And actually, they've hardly been through anything. And that theme, I suppose, runs through a lot of the things that, that I've been involved in. I don't know whether that's me burning people out or just change. Ah. But I think there is a perception sometimes that you've changed because you've been going through change. Yeah. But actually, if you look at the tangible outcomes of what's changed, not that much sometimes. And, no, and that's a real challenge because you've got to win. The, you've got to almost invigorate them and win those hearts and minds all over again as part of that yeah. process. And, and, and I think there's a tendency, it'd be interesting to get your view, but there's a tendency for organisations to um, do a lot of things piecemeal. Um, so there is this absolutely this constant state of change, yeah. but lots of projects that are being run, um, in many cases independently, that are having an impact upon the same people multiple times. And, and that that that's tiresome for lots of people because they're they're trying to do their day job as well as getting involved in these change programs. And uh, uh, but when you look back as an outsider or, or <coughs> an independent view, and you, and you look at well, this is where you started and this is where you were wanting to get to, but you're probably only twenty percent of the way there. Then that's yeah, you, you get that sort of rolling of the eyes, don't you? And here we go again. And and 
I know I've had lots of experiences where um, people have just got into the routine of keeping the head down, um, thinking that if, if I don't get involved in this, then it'll go away. And then six months later, something else will come. So I just keep my head down and, and, they, and they sort of absorb, uh, absolve themselves from, from, from getting involved, really, which is, yeah. can be quite challenging to turn them around. You can, and, and I think you also see that where there's been quite a few failed change projects. Yeah. Is there's that apathy against the whole change kind of cycle and go, well, it didn't work the last four times. So actually, if I just hide, I'll be in exactly the same position in two years' time. So it'll yeah. be fine. So what, how, how have you dealt with that situation? It sounds like you've come across it. So how have you, how have you managed uh, to, to deal with that? I, I think mostly through momentum and proof of change. Yeah. So as you say, I think it's very difficult to say, um, hey, Troy, you know, we're doing this great change program. Look how exciting it is. And for Troy to go, yeah, but I've been here for the last four that, that haven't worked. And in fact, number two is exactly the same as the one you're talking about right right now. So I can't I can't do anything to switch that just for talking. Yeah. The only thing that can show it is, is through action. And I think, you know, what we've, it's your previous point, I think, about the same people being used. We've got exactly that challenge in Wandle right now with the changes we're trying to put in, replacing kind of significant burdens on, on lots of key people across that. But what we've tried to do is, is start uh, delivering outcomes as quickly as we possibly can to, yeah. to get the buy-in and show that it's a little bit different. We've done lots of kind of art of the possible hearts and minds stuff, all of that. But again, that didn't show any proof until we actually started delivering change. So putting in dynamics, we, uh, I think from signing the contract and, and finishing kind of procurement, we, we, the first bit of functionality went live within kind of four or five months. Right. Uh, as far as that goes and and so um rather than waiting for everything to be ready as, as you sometimes do on the more traditional it project we wanted to to actually show a difference we wanted for to be able to show the impact of, of what we were doing really in in some of Absolutely. that and in some cases run some pilots just to prove that some of this stuff was 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 possible as well so you know we've run pilots with um, some smart techs you know smart sensors and stuff we've done a series of we did some chatbot type stuff as well i remember one of my first um uh, kind of team away days my director away days at, at wandle we took uh, you know all of our back office guys hr facilities everyone and and we actually just um one of the activities in the afternoon was to program a chatbot within your team you know come up with a concept and do it just to open people's minds to to you know the, the concepts of what what can you do and actually it's not quite as difficult as sometimes yeah, certainly the tech isn't always as difficult yeah, as, yeah. Uh, as sometimes if you can if you can get the processes so yeah predominantly it's been around just the proof being in the pudding here's yeah. a change and uh, and and you know people might still be I suppose opposed to it, resistant to the change and everything else, but at least they're getting to the point of understanding it's going to happen this time. It might be delayed, it might cost slightly more, <laughs> it, all, all of those normal IT things, but actually it definitely is coming. Um, we brought a change consultant in as at the outset of Wondle, actually probably too early, but three to six months before the first changes were delivered, yeah. to take every individual through that change process, the change cycle, and of course, what that then did was drove our employees to go. Well, tell me what the change is. Tell, tell me what's happening. Yeah, so, yeah. well, we can't tell you because we haven't we, we haven't done it. But um, you know that it, it was almost the opposite view in that situation of going. I'm now nervous about the change. They're ready for the change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but they wanted the detail. They wanted yeah. to, to to understand that really. So so yeah, that that's how we kind of dealt with it uh, okay. or attempted to deal with it. At one. 
I think there's, there's, there's two key messages, I think, that come out of that. One, which is, um, I suppose, what, what, what we all used to call quick wins. If you, yeah. if you can demonstrate some quick wins, um, it's, it's like the football people, managers, isn't it? New manager yeah, yeah. get demonstrate some quick wins yeah, and um, we, 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 we get a bit of breathing space and people believe in what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but the second one, which I thought was very important, is the uh, <coughs> uh, getting people in, into it and getting in, and getting them responsible for it and, yeah. and, and, and feeling it and tasting it and, and, and getting the hands dirty and coming yeah. up with some because then they believe it because it's tangible. It's not just it's just not a, someone telling them what's going to happen or yeah. a nice glossy video telling them how it's going to be. They're actively getting involved in in, in delivering that. And uh, those are those are two big big uh, big key key uh, key success factors, I believe, in in, in driving transformation through. Yeah, I, I agree. In the first point, um, whilst not taking away, as you say, from the importance of the second point, the first point I find interesting. Back in my consultancy career. We did a piece of work for an Irish uh, um, uh, uh, pension company um, and we delivered this re report at the end kind of talking about changes and um, about kind of an 18 month cycle. And the, the people we gave it to presented to, they came to us at the end and said, that's great. You know, we've never delivered quick wins within 18 months before. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me be clear. That's not a quick win. Then. <laughs> that's a long process. And, and, and I think it's, it's again about the culture. It's about the history. It's about all of those other things that come in to understand what a, what a quick win and momentum looks like. Because yeah. pro change projects particularly, and um, but IT projects generally, I would say, need momentum. They need people on board. They, you need to get that momentum growing over time. Um, otherwise, it will just get lost. And what you'll find is people opting out, people disappearing, to, um, particularly in, in a busy sectors such as, as, as housing, to work on other things, like you were saying earlier, at the very least, the day job, if nothing else. So you've yeah. got to get that momentum and kind of work into it. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that's been key. Really. Okay, so so your role at the moment is uh, director of business services and transformation. Yeah. So uh, so in that in, in in the role now, how do you define transformation? Um, making things radically different than than they are today, or or, or they were yesterday, fundamentally. Um, and that isn't just IT. IT is as as we always talk about the enabler for that, but it's actually changing conceptually a whole host of things. Um, let, let me try and give you a better example than me just jabbering on. Um, so. Um, we started talking to the board a couple of years ago about about change, about transformation, investment in, in IT, and the board said, "Well, okay, describe to us how it will be different. What's yeah. going to be, di you know, we were looking at value for money, saying, well, you know, we'll have some less people doing things, we'll be doing things in a different way." And the board's like, "Okay, we'll describe what what that means then. You know, what what what's the difference?" So we, we went away. It was it was business planning season. It was time to write a new corporate plan, a strategy. And we went away and said, actually, what we want to do is design a target operating model, an operating model that rather than just a set of tasks, and there are lots of tasks in there, we wanted to describe the vision at the end of how we would be different as an organization. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, I don't know whether I'll be the only one that you speak to in these in these kind of uh, chats that says this, but COVID's been good for our vision, because actually we set a vision for 2024. And guess what? That vision was about releasing capacity so that we can do more support calls and support those in need. COVID hit us, lockdown hit us. What did we do? And most of the sector did this. They started ringing all the most vulnerable customers on their list 
And, you know, we were doing things like helping get food, get delivered to them. Uh, people who, who uh, English wasn't their, their first language. We were translating the COVID guidelines and instructions to, yeah. to people in that situation. Stuff two years ago, you never would have gone that that's kind of what we'd be doing in, in in our services and and of course you know and everyone else is is in that, this situation um we're writing a, a, an accommodation strategy right now for the future and uh, it was actually due earlier th this year kind of the concepts and if i'd taken it to uh, to exec and the board in january and said this is it we're not going to need an office or it's going to be you know a yeah. third of the size of our office now they would have laughed me out of uh, of, of the meeting whereas today they're far more open having experienced the fact that actually finance guys have done an amazing job doing year-end remotely, not one kind of face-to-face -face meeting in that situation. So I think that that momentum we talked about earlier, the, the kind of visualization or the realization of some of that change has actually come out in what has been a, a terrible situation, obviously, for, for everyone, uh, uh, people being ill. But it has proved, and, and I think thankfully because of the work we'd done a year ago on our infrastructure to enable work because of course some people weren't not everyone starts in the same position around it and stuff like that we were able to cope with that um yeah. not without problems but but cope first week i think um we saw our our, our network crash and we lost five days of of network wow. um but but two of them were over the weekend thank goodness and uh, our it guys moved heaven and earth to get stuff back up and running but it took so long because we had so much stuff on our servers that needed recovering. Right. So of course that's now, you know, lesson learned is we've got to work in a different way um, and, and kind of move that through. So, so yeah, the, the target operating model really allowed us to say, actually, this is what we do today. This is how we, we work, but actually in the future, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to simplify our processes. We're going to automate things where we can. Customers are going to do more for themselves where they can. And actually that capacity is then going to be redirected into into I suppose proactive service delivery where possible as opposed to reactive, yeah. and then alongside that, we've started to demonstrate what data can do as far as understanding services. And you know you can't when you're in when you're in customer services you can't always be proactive, but you can predict. Yeah. Now I remember a story I went I went along to a session once and someone was telling a story about the um, the barriers at TFL where actually they almost self-diagnose. And when they're starting to feel a bit poorly, they they tell the engineer that they need to come and, and look at them. And that, that stuck in my mind as almost the prediction of our service is yeah. actually there's a series of trigger points. And once, a, once several of those have been hit, we should be doing something other than waiting for two days for someone to ring and be unhappy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, there's quite a lot of um, technology out there now, isn't it? That monitoring technology for... Yeah boilers or for heating systems or whatever that yep. you can put on that actually you can go out and knock on the door to say looks like your boiler's just about to break can we yep. come in and fix it which is which is from a customer service perspective is especially you know if, if at time this time of year where people are really ratcheting up the, the heating it's absolutely so impressive isn't it that you've been cool. proactive rather than waiting for someone to come in um, when when it's failed and I think you've got you, there's three steps in that. I suppose the starting point of someone currently rings. There's a next point where is actually 
Um, when someone wakes up, they've got a text to say, we already know it's broken, we'll come out and do it. And then that final step, I suppose, is that bit of we go out before it breaks. The technology tells you before it's even going to, that it's broken, that it's going to break so you can prevent it in that situation. And I think as an example of transformation, that's a great example of transforming the service to customers. Absolutely. Because then it becomes it becomes proactive maintenance rather than reactive. And it's a lot cheaper to, to manage proactive maintenance, isn't it? Well, and just aside from anything, it's better service in its yeah. purest sense. It's, you know, it's that situation when you're on Amazon and they keep firing stuff at you. Well, because you bought this, you now want these things. Yeah. In a few years, those will be right. At the moment, they're kind of random because people buy random things. You know, if anyone's the same kind of situation as, as me, if they buy something I buy, they'll then get loads of Star Wars kind of suggestions along the same side. <laughs> but whereas in the future, it'll become even more nuanced. And I think Absolutely. that's the thing about services, that personalization. Yeah. I remember I tell a story about service quite regularly about uh, Marriott hotels when I was doing some consultancy, always stayed in the same Marriott hotel uh, in one of the places. And I'd be there one or two nights a week generally for a period of time. And after about two or three weeks, they got to a situation where when I turned up, they recognized me. Yeah. They said, oh, kind of, Mr. Henshaw, welcome, et cetera, et cetera. And that difference from the, you know, the service in the first situation wasn't bad at all. But the service after that couple of weeks became exceptional because it was far more personalized yeah. and, and they knew me. No, absolutely. And, and, and that, interestingly enough, I'm, I've used Marriott uh, a lot for, for exactly that. Because when you book, they ask you a series of questions, don't you, yeah. in terms of do, do you want the particular type of, pillar that you want or the particular type of bedding that you want and stuff yeah. like that and that goes into the system and they and and it's fascinating because as you say once they recognize you they're they're oh yeah we've got you this room because of this or we've got you that room and it doesn't matter which hotel you go into they've no. got that consistency haven't they yeah yeah and, uh, and you know in most cases uh, certainly if you're in the same one regularly don't even need to go through that checking in process they almost yeah. just throw your key at you as you kind of walk past and you, and you go straight in. It's just that that difference in service. It's, like I say, it's not from a bad service to a great service. It's yeah. from a good service to a great service. And I think yeah. that's the that's the nuances as as we go through it. Yeah. But, it, but uh, coming back to the maintenance bit, the beauty of that is that you've got absolutely great customer service and at the same time you're taking cost out of the process. So it's a win-win-win, isn't it? And, and yeah, true transformation. And I think, you know, when... When we first, when I first went along to to to, to Wandle for for this role, we talked. We were talking a lot at that time about business improvement, that continuous improvement model, which is absolutely fine and the right way to do things, depending on your starting point. If yep. your starting point is you need to transform to take a giant leap and then continuously improve, that's exactly the right thing to do. You know, we we can't continually transform because if we do, we will get as we were talking about earlier. We will see burnout. We will see an impact on other things because it's such a resource-intensive kind of program to, to go through. If you do it right and then you do the continuous improvement, it will allow you to, to, to keep pace and keep at the forefront of things. You know, we're not we're not creating new technology. We're not creating any of these concepts. We can we can survive on continuous improvement if we're further enough along the kind of platform in the first place. Absolutely. What we've seen. Um, uh, and if there are any managers from Wondle listening, you need to turn off at this point. Um, what we what what we've seen is actually um, the view that uh, staff on the front line are innovating more uh, right now because yeah. they haven't got someone on their shoulder kind of in the same way. 
Um, and that isn't a criticism of, of our management. It's just an observation that actually people feel you can, as, as we know, lots and lots of research, you can only innovate in the right circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And under pressure, surrounded by work is not one of those situations where it's easy to, to innovate. Yeah. We try to do that. We try to hold specific sessions, but people people think and come up with ideas in different ways. And, you know, working at home seems to have allowed people to go, why am I doing it this way? Is there a better way? And yeah, certainly yeah. during the first lockdown, when we went back to staff and said, we want to do things differently. You know, we want to let properties in a different way so that you can do as much as you can remotely. People came up with some great ideas. And, uh, you know, that, that's been a real advantage because... As we know, it shouldn't be coming from the top down or from specific roles in organisations. We actually want the innovation to be pushed up. And I kind of ever since I joined, been saying we've, we've got this really big wall in in, in, in the office in Wondle. Um, I would love to have like a thousand kind of things on there that staff are saying to us, you need to do. Because yeah. one of the first conversations we had with staff around innovation and transformation and talking about what do you have in your homes and you know lots of people talking about the hive system you know the heating stuff yeah we're saying well why have you got that and our customers haven't you know don't, don't they deserve that access to that same technology and stuff trying to get people's minds open to yeah actually why haven't they? why haven't i gone internally and said why aren't we doing the equivalent of hive or hive for everyone in in, in our properties that's the mindset i think you want yeah. alongside the service mindset that we were talking about earlier Absolutely, and I, and I think also one of one of the uh, elements that have come out um, from people working from home um, is that they feel much more empowered to do yeah. things to meet the needs of the client because we 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 all know that the world's changed and and there's people are going through different challenges. So if if I can help you, I will do, and and, and if, if that means going slightly out of due process or so then you know i'm not i'm not going to get i'm not going to get slapped down because i've helped you and i've delivered something and that yeah. in itself can open up so many new ways of working new ideas can't it yeah it can and, and i think we've been trying to push that mindset for, for some time i remember the our chief exec whenever she kind of talks about this talks to, to staff and says if our process is stopping you from delivering the right service you need to push back you need to come and tell us we need to change the process because it clearly isn't right we should not have a process that is perversely almost punishing customers in that situation or i think yeah. um yeah you know that that's exactly what you're talking about i think we've had that opportunity yeah. in, in that situation because in most cases we have another choice oh, you know previ previously you have that debate over well how when what what we're doing but actually in this situation things just need sorting you, you know as i was talking about the support calls some of those, when when the local um, authorities were sending food parcels and other stuff out, some of the people we spoke to hadn't received them. Now, if you stuck to a process, you'd go, well, okay, we'll ring the local authority, we'll tell them to do it. But these are people without, you know, water to drink, without with, 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 without food. And so we solved the problem. We, you know, we, there's a story where we, um, uh, we luckily, uh, co-op were, were supporting uh Lots of people during that time. They just delivered a free food basket to to to, uh, to to a household in that situation. But you know that that's that thing of we, the right thing it wasn't within the process. Not not you know not within our tenancies. Not not within any of those things. Just needed doing in the right way. Absolutely. I think the uh, other interesting aspect is that you, you, know, you always say that change is successful when there's a cliff edge. And COVID was that, absolutely. It was the ultimate cliff edge, wasn't it? 
Um, but I think also a lot of a lot of people and a lot of organisations have been probably surprised that how quickly people <laughs> adapted to that. So you know, so we got to the cliff edge and we all jumped off and it was like jumped off, old, you know, closing your eyes and hoping for the best. But actually loads of people have been successfully been able to adapt to a massive amount of change. And, and I just wonder what that means for the future, because some of the preconceived ideas that actually we can't all work from home or we, you know, people don't like massive amounts of change. Yeah. That's to some extent been blown out of the water over the last six, 12 months or so. What, yeah. what's, what, what's your perception of that moving forward to, you know, in terms of how you feel you can utilise that, I suppose, to, to deliver the change and the, uh, the change mandate that you've got within Wondell moving forward? Can I, can I answer that in two ways? I want to come back on the first point, because I wonder whether it was easier because everyone was, was uh, I was going to say misled, that's not, but maybe didn't understand the, the scale of the situation. Because I think when we all kind of locked down for that first time, the belief was generally it was for a short period. Of course. Yeah. And so I think what happened was people kind of all rolled their sleeves up and said, oh, well, it's for two weeks or four weeks, you know, it'll be okay. Um, not for what may turn out to be a year by the time we kind of get back to or, or, or head, head towards that. So I think there is something about the narrative and the storytelling and the expectation. Yeah, because I think you, we would have seen a lot more resistance at that early point going, what, you know, how... And I think we then also responded in different ways. You know, you, you look at um, people weren't set up in a lot of cases to, to work at home. The infrastructure was there, but actually, are you sat at an uncomfortable kitchen table? Have you have you kind of got 12 books holding your screen up and all those other things that, that kind of go with that? And, and so I think people adapted and, you know, once it got past, I mean, we, we made a decision relatively early on that, that we weren't going to force people to return. Um, and once we made that commitment, we then saw more requests coming through of, oh, well, if I'm going to be here for longer, then can I have this or can I have that? And we yeah. we supported people with that. Um, but I think that first point was was around, you know, how long do we have to survive in this situation? People are very resilient. You say to people, oh, you've only got to do this for four weeks or you've only got, got to do this for a period of time. People see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I think where we've seen more um, psychological kind of challenges with people and, and the pressure is with this i can't see the light at the end of the tunnel yeah. now obviously over the last couple of weeks we've seen some great news about vaccines and everything else that we now think by by easter ne next year things will be radically different um or, or radically improved but you still had in that during that summer period that that real challenge of um how long have i got to be in this situation because i'm really struggling i don't know and and we i mean we introduced a weekly uh, kind of staff morale snapshot when we lock down to try and get get some measure. Not not everyone completes it every week, but a number do, and we get some scores. But more importantly, we get some comments, some comments around how people are feeling. You know, we've seen low points in, in morale during the Black Lives Matter issues, uh, during the U.S. election. That's been mentioned a few times. Yeah, lots lots of other things feeding into people's kind of mindset and and, and, their, and and their morale but the key thing all the time is when is this going to end when when will there be be kind of clarity and and so that's a really long way of responding to your first point but i think we we should take note that it wasn't it wasn't like we said right you've got a year now you've got to do it was uh, viewed to be a short period of time however we can learn from that though can't just before you go on to me, we can learn from that because you know in terms of of how you communicate around change and how you communicate around the programs moving forward 
you know, let, we can learn from the fact that actually early doors it was okay because we thought it was short. Yeah. But that's about being honest and about being yeah. open and, and communicating yeah. effectively, isn't it? It, it is. And, and I suppose that, that turns us all the way back to one of our earlier conversations. We had momentum. We had, we had, we had the, you know, the art of the possible was being shown to us. So after two weeks, after four weeks, people going, actually, this isn't quite as bad as I envisaged. You know, the finance guys were finding a way to do year-end remotely. So what they thought was impossible before was difficult, more difficult than being sat close to, to each other. Um, but what you also found, I think, and again comes back to the innovation mindset, was people trying things to make it work. We had a team uh, only a little while ago, actually, they spent all day logged into Teams as a team to try and recreate that sitting in a department, being able to go, oh, I've got a question. So they were on mute, you know, They were, but, but if someone had a question, they were able to do it. Now, yeah. whether that works or not, just that concept of actually, well, let's give it a go. Let's try and, and see what happens in respect of that, that kind of situation. I think yeah. people just are, are, you know, open to finding better, quicker and easier ways to, to do things because of the challenges of, of working remotely. But I, I agree with what you say. I think the storytelling and the lessons that we learned from that COVID kind of change cycle that, that we kind of went through um, is, is really, really important. And, and yeah. we've got to understand that. And I think, you know, the amount of IT systems we might have implemented between us, how many, you know, how many did people really understand what they were getting, what they were going live with, Absolutely. how much pain they were going to cope with for, for a period? Because at Wondle, we've done we've done kind of an agile-ish approach to, to kind of implementation, but we're quite a period on and we haven't gone back and fixed the bits that need fixing in the earlier processes. People right. going, this isn't working, particularly new people going in, this isn't working as well as I would have wanted it to in that situation. And of course, we probably didn't tell them it might be 18 months, two years before we fix it. We just said when we finished, we'll go back and fix the things in, in priority yeah. order. Yeah. And, you know, as, as you say, that that communication and that that honest conversation about, yeah, OK, you're going to have to put up with it maybe for two years. Absolutely. It's right. a thing we missed out on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think going back to discussion we had earlier about target operating model, that was exactly our view, that, that one of the bigger changes we wanted to see in the organisation was the focus on outcomes and, and affecting people's lives. There's probably 100 measures in there, but they're really to check we're on the right path, not to check against the outcomes, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And we wanted to kind of slowly evolve to, to get past that. I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that shift to outcomes, which of course is what the the kind of, lean processes and everything have told us is don't measure at that front end don't measure that measure the outcomes at the end of, you know how effectively are you operating yeah. is, is a key thing and you know when we talk about it being an enabler aside from improving processes that's the key thing data for me is that key outcome of, of what's come out of this um, both around kind of covid services and all of that stuff but more importantly around our processes and what we can transform in the future around that that different model of actually understanding our customers more, understanding our services more, understanding data more in respect to that. Okay, no, that's, that's great, thank you. So um, just finishing off, um, if you uh, could pull everything together, all your experience together and, 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 and leave the listeners with one takeaway, what, what would, what's that one thing that you think is absolutely essential in, in delivering successful transformation? It, this is where I wish I prepared for this and, uh, and thought about uh, thought about something in advance. Um, I think, and, and and I described this, I suppose, um, 
when 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 I talk to new starters coming coming into Wandle and and people in our organisation more generally, um, be relentless in your quest for for improvements. I think that you know it's so important. You know whether we call it transformation, whether we call it change, um, don't ever give up that that drive to improve because it's so so critical. And actually, once you give it up, you lose your momentum, you lose your your, your kind of progress. You'll find yourself five, 10 years out of date before you know it, because yeah. and particularly in the current climate, again, you'll know this more, more than I do, because so much is changing. If you're not thinking now about um, what you're building and uh, the environment for, for tech within that, that new build, by the time you actually need to use that tech, it'll be retrofitting and all that other stuff will be too late in that yeah. in that situation. Um, just be relentless in the quest. Doesn't mean you have to change. You have to buy every. You know, you have to be an early adopter for everything. You have to do everything in that way. But just be relentless in in the in the vision and the challenge that you give yourselves in that situation. Yeah, you, I think you've got to always be moving forward, haven't you? Because you can yeah. never stop. Because as soon as you stop, you're moving backwards because yeah. the world's moving forwards. Um, and, and I think, like you say, that relentlessness of constantly looking to improve and to um, yeah, move forward is, is, is a critical, critical skill yeah. and a critical, uh, critical for successful transformation and, and successful business. Uh, absolutely right, yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, uh, that, that's 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 really good. Uh, thanks for your time. Um, we occasionally get some questions. Uh, um, you know, it's um, if, if I sort of pull them together, you're happy to uh, to engage with people if they've yeah, got any cool. any particular question. Just to, it's, most of them just come in and is just looking at a little bit more deeper understanding of some of the points that you raise. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Brilliant. Oh, cheers, Troy. Thank you very much. All right, all right. Take care. See you soon. Well, that was an interesting episode, wasn't it? I love the final message, to be relentless in focusing on the future and in driving change. Thanks, Troy, for your time and for sharing your experience in so much detail. The driving focus of this pod is to provide you with insights into real experiences of delivering change. The hope is that you can maybe take one or two ideas from each episode that will help you to successfully deliver your change agenda now and in the future. I passionately believe that sharing experiences is a key element of learning and improvement. The Transformation Leaders Hub is a community of programme, project, change and transformation professionals and provides you access to a great network of experienced people to do just that. Take a look and give it a try with our trial member offer. With that, here's to a massively successful 2021. See you soon.